So, we finished Abraham two weeks ago, and we did a special Passover meal and lesson last week, which, how delicious was that? Some of it was good, right? None of it? You didn't like the lamb? What about the... Else, the, the bread? The bread is good. I think, <laughs> I would say the only thing that I would So you just decided you never want to live in the Middle East, pretty much. Satisfied with the American diet. Okay, so we're going to start a new short series tonight. Uh, it'll be more than one night, but a short series. And this is something that is not very often studied. You would probably have a hard time finding a sermon or a Bible study about it. Um... But we thought it'd be an interesting to do, and it's usually just mentioned in passing, or it's a added part to a larger lesson. And we're going to look at David's mighty men. Have you heard of them before? Okay, so uh, what do you know about David? You've all heard about King David, right? Yes. David and Goliath. So what do you know about David? Nothing? Okay, so he was a king of where? Yes, it's king of Israel. Yes, not Solomon. Saul. Solomon's his son. What did you say, Audrey? You said that. Okay, so before he was king, he was a shepherd as a boy. Yes, and he had brothers. Slash, he was an up-and-coming musician. I think I spelled that right. Um, what did you say? He has brothers? He does have brothers, and that's important because actually some of these mighty men are his nephews. Did you know that? Probably not if you never heard of them. But there's actually, I didn't know that until I started looking into it more. Um, so, <clears throat> somebody mentioned David and Goliath. What's the deal with that? Everybody knows about it, but how's it come about? Okay, the Philistines are pretty much the enemy throughout David's whole time and Saul's time. They're their main enemy. Anybody, do we know where the Philistines live? Should we do our map? Yeah. Audrey, our map. <laughs> We're doing a littler map now because we don't need the big map because Abraham is gone, and we're just in uh, Israel now, or Canaan. So what's, where, where is this? Egypt. Egypt, and what? Um, 
letters, but all in the wrong order. E-G-Y-P-T. And Nile River. What's that? That glove. The Red Sea. What's this? It wasn't there in biblical times. You should all know. It's been in the news a lot lately. We have one of these in Panama. Oh, okay. the canal where the ship got stuck. Yeah, where the ship got stuck sideways. Everybody hear about that? The, the, no, this is the Suez Canal. And the British made that canal. Because before, you had to sail all the way around Africa if you wanted to get to the Middle East. Well, to get to like Saudi Arabia or India. But then they made it so you can just cut right through. And you go down and India is over here. So there you go. You can link things together in your brain. All right. So this is... The Dead Sea. Why is it the Dead Sea? This pertains to Abraham. Yep, okay. So why is it the Dead Sea? What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Okay, how'd they die? And not limestone. should be synonymous with fire. Fire and brimstone. It says that in the Bible. And brimstone ha is sulfuric and has like salt mixed in with it. And what do you know about the Dead Sea? It's super salty. Hmm, that's interesting, right? Okay, so we also have a city over here. And this is important as we go through, you'll find out more, I think, about Jerusalem. If, well, if I teach that, now you will. Um, because Jerusalem does not belong to the Jews or the Hebrews yet. It is still an enemy city until David comes along. No one ever conquers it until David. Um, so we have kind of in this area, it comes around and it kind of borders a little bit along here and it comes up. This is all and here is the land of Israel now where the 12 tribes live and then we have over here this is Philistine or where the Philistines live. And this border will change back and forth. It'll move in, it'll move out, it'll move back and forth because they are constantly fighting with each other. Sometimes they're at a temporary peace, but there's a battle that's always going on. And that's where Goliath is from, Gath, a city in Philistine. And at one of these battles is where David kills Goliath, who's a giant. But what's so interesting about that story? Besides a you know a regular person killing a giant. He only did it with a slingshot and stones. And it was... What was that? It was a kid. 
Yes, he was a young man. So I read this, which I thought was interesting. I don't know. I don't think anybody really knows, but somebody mentioned that David says when Saul offers him his armor to wear, who is the king at the time, he says, hey, why don't you wear my armor to this shepherd boy kid? David says, well, I don't know what to do with armor. Like, I've never worn it before. I would be weird for me to wear it. He doesn't say it wouldn't fit me. Anybody know how tall Saul was? No, Goliath was nine foot. How tall was Saul, who's the king? Yeah, probably something like that. They said he was a head and shoulders above all the other men around him. So David probably wasn't a, if he, even though he was young, he may have been like 16. Some people say maybe 13, we don't know, but he was obviously not a small kid, okay? Which anybody is small compared to a nine foot giant because none of the people, including Saul, who was tall himself, were brave enough or believed that God would help them in the fight. And that's the important thing is that David trusted in God. And that is the first time where, uh, not the first time, because what does David say why he can defeat Goliath? Saul asks him, why in the world would a boy like you think that he can uh, attack Goliath and win? Okay, how does he know that though? How does David know God has him, is on his side and is with him? He killed lions and bears with his slingshot when they came to take the lambs. He killed lions and bears by himself out there. And all he has is a slingshot and a staff, a wooden staff. Doesn't say how he did it, but he did it. And he says, with God's help, I did that. If, God, if you were able to kill a bear and a lion consistently throughout your adolescent years, growing up out there in the field by yourself, you might have a little bit of confidence in God being behind you. So, David then, um, from then on, a rivalry arises between him and Saul. There is enmity between Saul and David. Why is that? Anybody remember? Yes, so they start singing songs whenever David comes to the city because David is now a war, a war hero because he then fights in more battles against the Philistines because they're like, hey, let's follow this guy into battle. He killed their giant. I bet you he can let, take care of the rest of them. So, and he does. He's constantly winning. He wins all of his battles against thousands and thousands of Philistines. And anytime he enters into... Um, I can't remember the capital city it, that it is right now because it's not Jerusalem. Uh, but anytime he enters into that city, they chant in the streets and sing a song that says, David has slain, or Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. So they're basically saying, We really like David. Saul's kind of a wimpy king, he's not the greatest. 
They're, they're on David's side. And David didn't ask for this. He's not like drumming up people to overthrow the king or anything. But what did God do that sends a message to Saul? He mentioned his brothers. David's brothers. Why do you know his brothers? They're only mentioned a couple times. They're all older. I want to say there are six or so older brothers. And Samuel, which we're going to be in the book of 2 Samuel tonight. So Samuel writes a whole lot. Like he is one of the most interesting story writers. Like as far as a book that flows as a story where it's not confusing and you can just read it like you'd read a novel. But it's all history. We'll be in 2 Samuel 23. But so he is a prophet at the time and the last judge of Israel. We did judges a little while ago. Um, and he, God tells him to go and anoint David, king of Israel. And he also anointed Saul. Um, and he does that. He, God picks David over all of his other brothers and Saul anoints, or Samuel anoints him right there at Jesse, his father's house. But it's not an official ceremony. It doesn't mean that he's king now, just that he's picked to be the next king. So, news about that travels, as something like that does. So Saul is pretty angry about that. That's always on the back of his mind that he has been rejected as king, and God has chosen a new king. So David, um, an interesting thing, though, is... David, during all this time, even before he kills Goliath, has been going to Saul's palace. They found out that he was a great musician. And they say, hey, Saul goes into these fits of rage. Like he gets crazy and angry and is just a wild guy. We want to try to calm him down. Like maybe some music will help. And David plays the harp. And the psaltery, which is another stringed instrument, probably uh, closest thing, some sort of guitar-like thing. It's really not a guitar, but and so David is called and he plays for Saul, and it works, calms him down. He plays songs that he has written as a shepherd, and it works for a while, but then. Once all this other start, stuff starts happening where David's winning all these battles, people like him more, Saul gets jealous, his pride rises up, and he tries to spear David two times. Tries to pin him, as the Bible says he tried to pin him against the wall. Throw the spear right through him and stick him into the wall. While he's playing this, the music, nice and soft, and all of a sudden Saul just jumps up and throws a spear at him across the room. David misses it both times, and after that he's like, okay, I gotta get out of here. Really, it's his best friend who is, anybody know his name? Jonathan, which is Saul's uh, firstborn son, is David's best friend. If that doesn't make things complicated, right? <laughs> your enemy's son is your best friend. So Jonathan gets him to leave and run away. 
So I know this is a lot of background just leading up to the mighty men, but it's important to understand all this because now David runs out into the wilderness and he is essentially an outlaw because Saul has said, if I find him, I will kill him. And David runs into the wilderness, is hiding in caves, but because... Um, because he is so famous as a warrior and a, and a, and a um, he wins every time, again and again, because he trusts in God for his victory, all the men who have fought with him now are like, well, I'm going to go find David and I'm going to hang out with him. He's going to be king eventually. Uh, we know that. God has picked him. I'm going to go find him. So they find him out in the desert. And they start to live with him. And David, they, um, they basically what they do to survive is they survive off of people's goodwill that will give them food and supplies. And then they also go and they'll go kind of on raiding parties into the Philistines and they'll attack Philistine enemy cities and get supplies that they need and wealth and then go back and hide in the wilderness again. And he really is, um, people often compare him to a type of Robin Hood. And he was like that where the people loved him, but the king hated him. And while he's out there um, and fighting these battles, he gets an inner circle because he has about it varies from like 300 to 500 men with him. That's like this really skilled army. But within that army, there are 37 men who are, they are unearthly in their abilities. You, I mean, I'm not saying they're not men. They are, but the things that they do are amazing in their skill. So of these mighty men, there are 37 of them. And out of those 37, there are three that we're going to look at tonight. We're not going to look at all 37 of them because there's just not information about all 37. But there's probably a good amount of information about at least 10 of them where there are stories about them. And um, we're going to look at what really makes these guys great because... Some of them are really good fighters, better fighters than David. All, I'd say all 37 of them are. Some of them are crazier than David. Some of them are braver than David. But then there are some that are even more noble than David. That's a pretty big thing to say because David was chosen by God to be king. But David has his mistakes, like anybody does, but some of these guys are really men of character. So let's start in 2 Samuel verse tw or chapter 23, and we're going to start with verse 8. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had, the Tecumnites that sat in the sea, chief among the captains, and was, and the same was at 
I know the as night. He lift up his spear against eight hundred whom he slew at one time. Okay. So the I got another name because we're going to also turn to First Chronicles chapter 11 where it's basically the exact same story, but just so you know, there's two places in the Bible and they give him another name there, which is Jashobim. That's a little easier to say than all his other, uh, like who, what tribe he's from and all that stuff. But Jashobim, what he does is pretty incredible. What did he do, Briley? Right there in verse 8. Slayed 800 men, but not just in his life, in one day. Now I did the math. If, you were, if he were to kill a person in this battle, one person a minute, which that's a lot. Like, let's just think of the logistics, the practicalness of how quick you have to be to kill one person a minute. It would have taken him 13 hours and 20 minutes exactly to kill all those people. And you get about the most daylight you get in a day, at least around here, is in the peak of summer, is like 14 and a half hours. So it took him an entire, like, full, long summer day to kill 800 men at one a minute. With, um, did it say a spear here? Yeah, with a spear. That's pretty incredible. I mean, it's, I know, very gory, very ruthless. And these were, I'm sure these were Philistines that they're, which are enemies of God's people. But just the, just the skill involved in that, even if he were just to do a reenactment of it, that'd take a lot of skill, right? To do that for 13 hours. Almost like, hmm. Maybe he had some external help, like maybe God was on his side. Let's look at a third guy. Uh, now we're going to go to Chronicles, just because we can. First Chronicles chapter 11. And we're going to start with, we're just going to read verse... 12, hold on. Oh, we'll read 12 to 14. Philistines. Yeah, Philistines. Yep. And the Lord saved them by a great deliverance. Yep. Or salvation. That's kind of what that means. Okay. So, this other guy, the second one of these three musketeers, you know, these three guys that are his best of 
everyone is Eliezer. So we have we have Jashobim and Eliezer. Let me make sure I spell his name right. And it says, Eliezer, him and David were going out to a battle with other people. Probably other Israelites were with them. I would guess probably not David's um, army itself. And they're about to meet the Philistines in this field of barley. Uh, and back in Samuel, it says a field of lentils. But essentially, it's a field of wheat or um, beans, soybeans, whatever, you know, something like that. You can all picture that. They're about to meet them in this bean field. And everybody except for David and Eliezer on the Israelite side run away and leave just the two of them standing in front of this whole army. And the normal thing to do when the rest of your army runs away and retreats is to run with them. And it's not just the normal thing, but it's what your instinct tells you. Your instinct says, it like senses the fear. And as soon as a couple people start running, everyone just starts running because they're like, whoa, wait, why are we running? It's, there must be a good reason. All right, let's all run away. That's, that's pretty much essentially how it works when you get an army to retreat is it just takes a, a small amount of them to get everyone convinced to run away. Except for Eliezer and David. And they take on the whole army themselves and kill them all. And it says, yep, by the way, God helped them with that because there's no way they would have won. doesn't say how big the army was, but if you look at the army sizes in the book of First. Second Samuel, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles. In this time period, they they range from five hundred to like know, like ten thousand. Probably wasn't ten thousand, but even if it's just five hundred guys, that's pretty amazing. All right, let's. Uh, so we have Jashobim and Eliezer, and then we have the other guy, and. This is a story that you may have heard. It's a little bit more famous. This is brought up more often. Verse 15 through 18 now, if you want to start there. Now three of the thirty captains went down to the rock to David into the cave of Adullam, and the host of the Philistines in the valley of Rabbeinu. And David was then in the hold, and the Philistines gar Garrison was then at the Yep. David called for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. Then the three break through the hosts of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem. That was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Okay. That's good. We'll, we're going to pause there for a minute. So, you have um, Bethlehem is over here outside of Jerusalem. And, 
and we have that David is out in a cave out in the wilderness. So he's out here um, in a cave of Adullam. And the Philistines, let me use a different color. The Philistines have a battle line set up. Okay. And then they also, they have taken Bethlehem during this time. And they have their little garrison set up in Bethlehem. Anybody know what a garrison is? Yes. Yes, it can be a group of soldiers. And it can also be a... Um, like where you've set up a campsite where your soldiers congregate. So it, the terms are interchangeable. It's more of the context. So because their garrison is in Bethlehem, they have taken over Bethlehem and they are using the buildings and whatnot to live out of, to have that their main base as, their, uh, as they operate within the area. And David is... And his men are out in the caves, like they usually are. And David is just um, sitting there with the guys. And when you're in a military, they have, at least in the U.S. military, but this is true for all, for all of time. But the saying people like to say is, hurry up and wait. Which means... Hurry up, get all this stuff done. It's got to be done now, 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 now. And then you're sitting around for a long time waiting for the next thing to do. It's just, it's the nature of it. When you get a big group of people together and you're like, all right, everybody go do this. They get it done. And then you're waiting for the next thing in the timeline before, because you can't just go attack at any time or you can't just start marching without other things in place. So David and his men are basically at their hurry up and wait point. They're waiting for the next battle, for the next right time to strike the Philistines, which can be very boring. And they're just jawing around probably the campfire or as they're sitting around. And David is just dreaming about things in his mind. He says, you know what would be really good right now? Cold, cold ladle full of water from my hometown Bethlehem. Right out of that well there. And anybody have well water? You, both of you? Anybody else? Do you guys have well water? Are you on? I don't think so. Okay, me neither anymore. But growing up, we had well water. And our well water, because we were we lived right on the edge of the swamps over in Oakfield, we had sulfur in our water. You never know the difference growing up. It doesn't, when you grew up with it, you don't taste it. But people would come to our house and you could taste it. It tastes kind of like rotten eggs a little bit. And it's not so great. So well water all tastes differently depending on where you live. Even here, because I lived in Georgia for a while, which where we lived was in the middle of a swamps, like swamps. 20 times the size of the swamps down here. Like everything was like that. Not standing water, but low land like that. And all the water, even the city water that had been treated and everything, tasted 
a little different. Didn't quite taste like the nice water we have around here from Niagara River or wherever. And David is remembering, wow, Bethlehem's water is just so much better than whatever we've got here. And he's also out in the wilderness in the deserty area where they probably don't have a lot of water. They might even just have um, wine because that was the common drink to have because water doesn't last long stored. It starts to get stagnant, gets disease in it if it's not pure, purified. And he's like, that would just be the best right now. Probably somebody else was like, oh yeah, I could really go for mom's baked casserole right now. That would really hit the spot. You know, that kind of a conversation where they're going around talking about all the things that they wish they had. And it was just an off-the-cuff comment, just something in passing. He didn't expect anyone to be serious about it. But these three guys, his three top guys, uh, Jashobim, Eliezer, and the other guy, they say, they get together later and they're like, we could get into Bethlehem. They're like, I know we could get in there and we could get, just pull, in the middle of the night, we could pull, draw some water out of that well in Bethlehem, steal a pitcher, fill it up, and we could be back in, this, in like 24 hours, we'd be back here. They're like, wouldn't that be awesome to do that? We could do it. We could do that for David. And they do that. They go and they, they sneak behind the enemy lines. They sneak through, fight through if they had to. They get into Bethlehem, sneak in there. They're probably going as fast as they can, pulling that water up the well. Probably one of the other one is fighting off some other guys. They fill up a pitcher, which clay pitcher, so... I bet you, just think of, even if I were just give you a gallon of milk and say, hey, I want you to run two miles with this gallon of milk. How about that? How many do you th think you'd uh, feel just fresh as a daisy when you got back? You'd be all right with that one. Probably saying I got that. How about like 20 miles? Might get heavy after a while, right? And that's, I don't know what size pitcher, but I bet you it was at least a gallon of water. Well, they run back with that, probably switching on and off who's carrying it, and they get back to David, and they give it to him. And he's probably like, what's this? And they're like, eh, just drink it. And he's like, well, what is it? And they're like, it's from Bethlehem. He's like, no, it's not. He's like, yeah, we got it from Bethlehem for you. It's still cold. And... Let's see what David does. If you has anybody heard the story before? Gideon has. Okay, yep. Pastor Eric likes this story. This story. All right. Back in eighteen, if you want to finish that verse now, Gideon, and we'll read to. Um, yeah, just. Oh, in nineteen, eighteen, and nineteen. These things did these three mightiest. Yeah. So, 
David, that is exactly why right there they got that jug of water for David. Not that they knew he would not drink it because he, he felt unworthy of the effort that they went through, of, that they risked their lives. But just because they knew that David was a man of integrity, someone that they could trust, that they would follow into battle no matter what the battle. I mean, you see Eliezer stood with just him and David in a field against an army. And that's why they went and got it for David, because they, they trusted him that much. And he proved, he proved that they shouldn't trust him that much when he dumped it out. And he said, I'm not going to be responsible for, the, for them risking their lives. Only, only God can ask them to do that. So, these, these guys are just absolutely crazy in what they do. They are, the best thing to describe these guys as is reckless. They're certainly skilled. They are, they are dedicated, but they do reckless things. And have, has anybody ever, I'm sure nobody, no one's met a Navy SEAL, right? Do you all know what a Navy SEAL is? Everyone have a good idea? They're like special forces in the Navy. They're, they're the top of the top, the best trained fighters. They only operate in teams of, um, I think it's six and then, two and then two teams together. So it's only like teams of 12 people. They go on, on a mission, like only them, just 12 guys out there. And sometimes nobody else except for their commander knows where they are. That's it because it's so secret. And they're the top of the top. And you, if you, has anybody ever listened to like an interview with a Navy SEAL or anything like that? Okay. So you listen to them talk about, like they'll interview them and ask them about missions that they can talk about that are now released. And the things that they think are normal are ridiculous. They'll, they'll just gloss over, yeah, we hiked, we hiked 10 miles in straight up a rock face to get to the extraction point. It was just a walk in the park. And it's like, no, no, that's not a walk in the park. That is like, I would die. I would die if I had to do that. It, they, because they put them through the hardest stuff because they've got to be dedicated. You ever see that show? Um, I'm not going to be able to remember it, but it was like on the Discovery Channel or something, but it was about their training that they had to go through, the BUDS training. And they have to do crazy stuff like underwater scuba diving and then have instructors attack them and rip their tank off, dis tear it apart, and then they have to put it back together underwater and get it back on to come back up. Like, they go through crazy stuff. They, they beat them down and destroy them, and they think this stuff is like nothing. And I can tell you for sure that's what David's mighty men were like. They were rough and tough, and they could handle anything. And it wasn't just their physical ability. It wasn't um, just that they had 
amazing jeans, but it was, after that, it was a certain mental toughness where it's a lot of them just saying in their mind, I'm going to do this. But you can't just say in your mind, I'm going to do this. It's also got to, you have to have a reason why. So we got one more guy. Who is this third guy? We don't have a name for him yet. Let's read verse 20 and 21 now. Of the three, he was more honorable than the two, for he was their captain, howbeit in attained not of the first three. Okay. So Abishai, he only killed 300 guys. Think of how ridiculous that statement is. He only killed 300 guys by himself. But I'm sure those were like their discussions around dinner table where they probably... The two of them made fun of him because he didn't do as much as they did. Okay? And, in fact, it says he wasn't, even in the history, they said, Bishai wasn't the impress, most impressive of the other top three. He was only third place. The other two were vying for first place. And you have to wonder why these men did what they did. Why this dedication to David? It can't be just for the sake of adventure. It can't just be because they're, they've got some wires crossed in their brain. Okay, it's, mo- it's more than that because they they're willing to die for David. What inspired them to act like that? To be the way that they were? <clears throat> well, We've seen that David fought with them, right? This is, this, a lot of this is a testament to who David was. David fought with them. He slept on the, cave fo- on the cave floor next to them. Have you ever tried to slip, sleep on a rock? I can't say I've ever tried to sleep on a rock, but I've tried to sleep on really hard ground before. Like, I've slept on ground where you're laying sideways like this all night, and you keep waking up, and you're, like, halfway down, like, this hill, and you have to move back up. I've slept with, like, where there isn't a flat spot. If you sleep on your stomach, you're like this. If you sleep on your back, you're like this. Like, there's some bad places to sleep. And when you do hard things like that with other people, there's a bond that happens. It just, it will naturally happen. <clears throat> and there's, I would go so far to say that David loved all of them. He cared a lot about them and they loved him. But I think there is one thing more that makes, that makes these guys go down in history as some of the most dedicated and impressive guys that caused them to do what they did. Go to Psalms 142. What do you know about the Psalms? Yep. Yes, they are songs. What else do you know about them? What's their origin? 
David wrote most of them. There are a couple other guys who have written, who wrote stuff in there, like uh, Ace Kelly was one. Um, David wrote there. David wrote some of these when he was a shepherd out in the field. He wrote some of them when he was a king living in a palace. But he wrote a lot of them also when he was out there living in the wilderness, running for his life with just 30 men in all of the kingdom that he could trust. That's all, there, that's all the people he could trust. This one specifically, 142, is written while he's in this cave of Adullam. While they were there. Let's go ahead and read that psalm. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and with my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him, before him I saw my trouble. When the Spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walk, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand, and beheld that there was no man that would know me, refuge failed me, no man heard from my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord, I said, Thou art my refuge, and my portion in the land of the Lord. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Sorry, pray for my pardon, that I may praise your name, and the righteous will gather about me because of your Okay, so, I want you to picture this. They're all in that cave. It's nighttime. There's only a campfire at the opening of the cave that's lighting everything up. You guys can all picture the lighting of just a campfire when it's pitch black. I think I've sat around a campfire with all of you. And they're sitting there, and all of a sudden they hear David plucking out some music on his harp. Bouncing off the hard walls of the caves with that acoustic, the good acoustics of that. And he starts to sing a song. Writes it there on the spot writes it from his heart that he feels defeated. He feels that his enemies are laying traps for him all around. Then he sings that he's crying out to the Lord to save him. These men, these 37 men, they knew God more because of David. Probably a lot of these guys were not much in the way of religious type people. It probably wasn't their priority when they first came to David. They were probably just thinking, we're going to go and we're going to win a bunch of battles with David. A lot of them. But as they're spending all this hurry up and wait time with David, they're finding out that there's more to David than he just is really good at fighting or he's a good leader. But there's something else that makes him great in that he's the friend of God. He's a man after God's own heart. And they learn a lot about God through David. They learn how, how reckless David is with talking with God. 
how I hate even using that that phrase reckless with God but David is he is not um, he's not too proud to admit his fears his failings his innermost thoughts to God and through that example these men had to have come closer to God they had to have become greater and we see the last thing here is that Abishai was more honorable than the other two he must have been a lot closer to David he must have sought after God more. He must have had different conversations with David than, than the other two did because he becomes the captain over all 37. Even the captain over the other two who are better in combat than he is, but he has something more that draws him close to David. And there's more to his story. We will learn more about him because he has... We find out a lot more about his character compared to the other guys uh, as we go through the series. So thank you guys.